there is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Hello, and welcome to another thrilling podcast of the Paranoia Podcast. I guess that's kind of redundant. Uh, my name is Olaf Phillips. I'm the publisher of Paranoia. On the line, I have Ron Patton. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Paranoia Magazine. And tonight, uh, well, we record this at night. Tonight, we have a really awesome guest. He is the most prolific paranoia writer ever. Uh, he is an amazing writer who's done a whole bunch of awesome books. Uh, I don't even know where to start with his books. But I will say that he, he did write a particular book about uh, Charles Manson. And um, it is the best book I've ever read on, on Manson and the mind control and all the other stuff that was going on down there. And it, I mean, it is so powerful that I have a friend who's a, just reads anything about Charles Manson named Celeste and it just completely blew her mind. So <clears throat> Adam go rightly is our guest tonight. I am so honored to have him on here. It just, I mean, he is the conspiracy researcher to go to. So, uh, that's my intro. I think Ron actually printed something out. We have a prepared statement, which is bizarre for us. <laughs> a prepared statement uh, a prepared, from the President of the United States a, of America. A prepared statement from the Editor-in-Chief in Paranoia, uh, Ron, th th Ron Patton. Thanks for having me on. Go ahead, well, Ron. Thank you, Adam. Okay, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure having you on. But hey, I wanted... You'd all know that Adam Gorey has been chronicling fringe culture for decades. His articles have appeared in nearly every zine, underground magazine, countercultural publication, and conspiratorial websites imaginable, bringing a mischievous sense of prankster discordian to the zany world of fringe culture. Once Gorey connects his dots, Readers are plunged into alternative universes, which forever alter their view of reality. And Welcome to the show. Thanks. Hey, you know who wrote that text? I know. His name is Victor Thorne. Right, uh, exactly. Late, late friend of ours and ah. uh, also um, another writer for Paranoia Magazine. Yeah. I have to mention one other thing. Uh, Mr. Go Rightly is also a musician, and I have oh. his CD, and it is mind-bending. Definitely. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I, I have a uh, – there's a new YouTube I did with a friend of mine I'll share with you. Maybe you can uh, plug it into the end of the show or something. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to. Great. Cool. All right. So let's let's get down to the shit. Mm -hmm. We're a no bullshit operation around here. Can you say that? Can you say that on the Paranoia podcast? Like, it, 
you know, you know, I've been told that I have to change. I have to flag it as explicit. But, oh, but okay, you know yeah. what? Fuck the man. I never got around to it. There you go. Oh, well, yeah. Explicit for iTunes or something like that. <laughs> yeah. For the puritanical <laughs> iTunes. Yes. Yeah. We're rebels. Yeah, that's right. With a cause. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Now, I have a question. So, <clears throat> Carrie Thornley, in, mm-hmm. involved in Discordianism, friend of Oswald, maybe. Yeah, new, they were friends. Yeah, new, new Oswald in the Marines. He comes out, and this has bugged me for a long time, comes out, mm-hmm. he, he writes a book called Oswald, and he says, Oswald didn't do it. And then later, uh, he comes back and says, no, well... No. Well, that I got to stop you there. That's okay, not, not not quite correct. But, okay. Uh, so what what's the deal with Thornley? Because I mean, he's a very he's a very controversial guy in general. Well, as, let's talk about the books he wrote. Uh, he uh, entered the Marines in '59, uh, and he was stationed in uh, Southern California, kind of the basic training uh, deal. And that's where he met Oswald. Oswald had come back from overseas. Oswald was stationed at Atsugi, which was a uh, CIA base. A lot of uh, spooky shit going on there. With That's mm-hmm. where uh, U-2 flights were based out of during that period. And Oswald was a radar uh, technician. So, you know, if you're familiar with a lot of the... Um, uh, conspiracy theories and different information around Oswald that you know a lot of people believe or suspect or uh, you know have a good reason to uh, believe that uh, he was being groomed as an intelligence agent uh, during that period. So he met uh, Thornley. Uh, Oswald came back from Japan and he met uh, Thornley at. Uh, they were in El Toro Marine Base. And uh, it was really only a short period of time they knew each other. You know, it was like uh, I'd have to look at my notes, but maybe a month or two. Then uh, Thornley got shipped over to, <laughs> to where Oswald had been and did, you know, kind of the same job as a radar technician for the mm-hmm. YouTube, YouTube flights. So, um, You know, during the period they knew each other, they had a lot of spirited discussions. And Oswald seemed at that time to be leaning toward uh, leftist uh, communist socialism. They spoke about it a lot. And Thornley was into talking about different political ideologies and stuff. And Oswald even practiced speaking Russian, you know, which once again, many people point to he was being groomed, you know, to – what happened later? He defected to Russia, and what was he doing over there? What I think uh, might have been going down uh, with uh, his discussions with Thornley and others, he was basically was an intelligence agent at that time, and they were using him to uh, check other people in their squadron. These were all people that were going to get uh, getting security clearance to be. Uh, radar uh, techs and we're going to go over to Atsugi dealing with the U-2 flights. So I think what Oswald was doing during that time was working 
as an intelligence, uh, from naval intelligence, whoever, to uh, see if there was any security risks in the unit. And Thornley, he was <laughs> he was a wild character all of his life, and he probably jumped out, you know. So that's why Oswald engaged him. So uh, Thornley uh, uh, gets shipped uh, to Atsugi, and he starts writing a book. Uh, in 1959, as he's going over there about uh, being a Marine during the Cold War called the Idle Warriors. And he based uh, the main character on in the book uh, on himself and other Marines he had known. One of them was Oswald. The character was Johnny Shelburne. When he got over to Otsugi, he heard that Oswald had defected. And at that point, the main character in the book really got became based entirely on Oswald. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was the first oddity that he was writing this book kind of based on Oswald three years before the Kennedy assassination. So anyway, the other book he wrote called Oswald, which he brought up, um, he wrote after he testified, after Thornley testified to the Warren Commission, which was, you know, uh, in 1964, following uh, JFK's assassination, at that time, Thornley uh, basically adopted the position, which was the you know popular media, what was being presented that Oswald was a lone assassin. So that was basically where the uh, that book Oswald was coming from. After he published Oswald, it wasn't uh, a few months later he got uh, approached by David Lifton. Another Kennedy assassination researcher who wrote Best Evidence, a great book on the. Uh, mm, I remember Kennedy. that. Yeah, yeah. That was really good. And uh, Lifton read the book Oswald and said, This is bullshit. And uh, they were both in LA. And over the course of, the e of an evening, Lifton brought all of his. Uh, 26 volumes of the uh, Warren Commission report <laughs> went through him with Thornley. And by, as before the night was over, Thornley was convinced that Oswald was innocent. Well, that that's it's a it's it's a convoluted story. Well, that that that's got to be a wonderful evening going through 26 <laughs> volumes of the Warren Commission. Well, as Thornley described it, he laid him out across the floor, floor like a bunch of puzzle pieces and went, you know, jumped here and there through him to point out different uh, parts of the commission uh, report that didn't add up. And it was enough to convince Thornley that, hey, maybe there, there was a conspiracy and it was en enough to make uh, <laughs> Thornley's uh, wife uh, start crying uh, because, uh, you know, it seems so obvious to them that uh, this uh, great uh, cover-up of assassination had gone down. So, so he he's obviously tangentially involved in the the Kennedy assassination. When when does he start to to drift toward the Discordian stuff? Well, that kind of it started before the Discordian society started in 1958 or 59 depending on who you <laughs> who you talk to, but it basically started as a, a spoof religion prior to him meeting Oswald. You know, Thornley later uh, suspected that the, all his, all this messing around with uh, Discordianism uh, and worshiping uh, the goddess Eris 
ended up bringing all this craziness into his life, you know, with the uh, Oz, him meeting Oswald and the uh, Garrison investigation and all that, you know, that went down. So uh, Discordianism evolved over time. And uh, by the early 60s, it was basically a group, you know, they were kind of poking fun at organized religion and a lot of different stuff. So they used the framework of the spoof religion to do it. And you had a lot of different writers and artists get involved, you know. Robert Anton Wilson got involved at one point, and Robert Shane. They actually based the Illuminatus trilogy was inspired a lot of it by mm-hmm. Discordianism, and you see that you know within the uh, trilogy, um, all these references to Discordianism. So it kind of evolved over time. Then the uh, Garrison investigation happened. Interesting. So you have that book, uh, Histor- Historia Discordia? Mm-hmm. And uh, so how does that uh, fit in? Is that just more of an overall uh, perspective on the Discordian movement? Yeah, what that is, I, you know, I got interested in Thornley mm-hmm. uh, in the early 90s. I'm trying to remember the book. I think it was uh, called Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, and Crimes by Jonathan Vankin, if you recall that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it covered a bunch of different conspiracy theories of, uh, and uh, one of them uh, was uh, had, you know, had to do with Carrie Thornley. And I read that. I went, wow, this guy's amazing because you know it talked about he got, <laughs> he was one of the founders of Discordianism, and mm-hmm. he had met Oswald, and he was writing a book about Oswald three years before the Kennedy assassination, and he got indicted by uh, Jim Garrison, mm-hmm. uh, and Garrison claimed that Thornley was one of the Oswald doubles and uh, helped. Uh, kind of orchestrate or uh, set up uh, uh, Oswald to be a patsy, all of this stuff. But then also it talked about that how later, you know, Thornley initially denied all those allegations when Garrison uh, made them. But then later he began to suspect, you know, by the mid 70s that that something did happen. Maybe he was an unwitting dupe in the assassination. He got sucked into this. And uh, as time evolved, it got even more crazy or Mm -hmm. uh, confabulated his theories. And he at one point, he believed that uh, he and Oswald had both been uh, manipulated by MK Ultra, and they were Nazi uh, breeding experiments, and all this wild stuff was, you know, the first chapter in this book by uh, Jonathan Vankin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to answer your question here, <laughs> right. here in no, a no. second. But this no, got it's a me, good segue. It's a good yeah, segue. It's convoluted. This, you can't help it. Yeah, this got me interested in uh, Thornley. So. At uh, you know, I was gathering all this material on him, and uh, Vankin uh, in that book uh, uh, said that uh, he was uh, perhaps down the road would write a biography of uh, Thornley, and that excited me. God, I'd like to read more about this guy. He never did write that book, so I decided uh, 
by the end of the 90s, uh, didn't look like Vankin was going to do it, and I had gathered some material. Start, so I started researching that and networking with uh, different folks and uh, decided to uh, plunge into that. And I met uh, different people who knew Thornley way back in the day, and, you know, including Robert Anton Wilson and these other folks involved in the Discordian Society. I interviewed them and met this one uh, Really uh, interesting, great guy by Bob named uh, Bob Newport, and he had uh, something he called the Discordian Archives. Mm-hmm. And when I I did an interview of Newport and uh, Wilson at uh, Robert Anton Wilson's pad in uh, Santa Cruz, this was two thousand and one, and he. Uh, Bob Newport brought with him what he called the Discordian Archives. It was an armful of material. And he let me borrow it and take it home and scan it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, this is some stuff I use in the book. You know, the uh, this material later on, you know, might make a good book about uh, the history of Discordianism. So kind of kept that in the back burner, got that material back to and uh, touch bases every couple of years and around 2009 I said I'm getting more serious about this uh, Discordian Archives book if you're more serious and he said uh, uh, yeah and by the way if you're down in LA why don't you stop by my place and get everything and that turned out to be like several boxes of uh, materials which were basically the archives that uh Greg Hill, the other founder of Discordianism, had kept throughout the years. And a lot of this, uh, at one time, these archives were uh, Robert Anton Wilson had them, had, a, had them for a couple of years when uh, Greg Hill went to New York. And Wilson used this for a lot of his uh, books like uh, Cosmic Trigger. You know, there's uh, when he different uh, things when he was be talking about Discordianism, he'd reference these archives. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, anyway, these were passed on to me. 2009, yeah, and uh, let's see, finally uh, yeah, went through all these materials and put together the book Historia Discordia, which was published in uh, 2014, yeah, it just traces the uh, crazy history of Discordia of the uh, Discordian Society in the book and a lot of the rare, those rare archival materials are in the book. Interesting. Yeah, and and prior to that, you uh, put out a book called Happy Trails, The High Weirdness. I remember that. Yeah, that was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was was that guy who helped you publish it. Uh, Groucho Gandhi. Okay, that's right. I was trying to remember that guy's name. <laughs> that, Quite a character. That's that's the uh, yeah, that's the handle he goes by. That was just a collection of uh, different uh, articles I've written over the years. Some of them in Paranoia and other magazines. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Paranoia magazine, um, yeah, I think it's pretty much well established that you're the most prolific writer for Paranoia magazine from what I understand. Well, I think I am be, am because uh, the conversation started one time with uh, Joan uh-huh. 
And so I got curious and I, I went through uh, some of the old magazines. And there's quite a few over the years, probably, I forget what it was. I Somewhere in my files, I uh, have a listing of all the different uh, articles I wrote, but it was around a dozen. And I uh, started uh, early on. I was probably the, uh, you know, in the early 90s, I was in oh, probably the maybe the third issue then uh so around 92 probably 92 93 yeah right yep. exactly yeah and that was a heyday for uh the zine scene you know that's when it, <laughs> a lot was really going on so uh yeah i started uh writing uh, at one point you know i uh, was networking with all these folks uh joan and uh with Paranoia, Excluded Middle, Great Bishop, Ken Thomas, mm-hmm. Steam Shovel mm-hmm. Press. Uh, there's some other ones. And uh, at, at one point I thought, you know, uh, my goal here, I'm going to try to write uh, an article for uh, all of these magazines, you know, quarterly or each time they uh, publish. And I kind of uh, did that for a couple of years, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, by after a few years, it kind of the uh, scene kind of uh, faded away. But yeah, it was uh, that's where uh, interesting uh, stuff was uh, happening. You know, back in the day uh, during that right. period, as far as uh, conspiracy research and you know, lots of conspiracies too. You had Ruby Ridge and Waco <laughs> and the Oklahoma City bombing and. You know, the whole militia movement. So, yeah, yeah sure. It seemed like there was an explosion of, uh, you know, up and coming conspiracy writers and uh, conspiracy type of publications, as well as websites. I, re- I remember the first one that I was aware of was, uh, what was it called? Conspiracy Theory Research List or something like that by mm-hmm. Chris Milligan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah even prior. You know, there was a window there prior to the Internet uh, Mm -hmm. in the early 90s where it uh, seemed like, uh, you know, all the networking and uh, where all the uh, information was being shared through that uh, zine network. And uh, by the mid 90s, that's when, uh, you know, slowly the the Internet started uh, surfacing. You had the the bulletin boards, you know, (laughs) sharing Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, different information. And, yeah, by Mm -hmm. the uh, end of the 90s, late 90s, 2000, uh, the zines had started to die out. And that's when the Internet picked up. Mm -hmm. That it did. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, for me, that's that's when I started to get into it was in the 90s. And it's mm-hmm. interesting because it seems like it's come full circle that, you know, the the Internet effectively killed off the zines. But it seems like we're, we're drifting in that direction again, because, mm-hmm. you know, with with the advent of things like the X-Files, a lot of conspiracy stuff became more mainstream. Yeah. And, and I think that that it kind of. um I don't know how to how to put it, but it, it kind of like tapped out the conspiracy world a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it became too mainstream, and I think a lot of yeah. people drifted away from it. And now, you know, we see things like the current election. You know, and <laughs> people are people are like, well, I can't help but think that that there's a conspiracy going on. 
you know, I mean, it, it's a weird, it's a weird thing as a, somebody who enjoys conspiracy and researching mm-hmm. them. It's, it's a very odd thing to, to go into a place where, you know, it's just normal people. And, you know, you're talking to one of your friends and you had told them a while back, oh, you know, I think this whole thing's engineered and rigged. And like, no, 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 it would never happen. Not here, not in America. No, no, no. And your vote counts. Your vote counts and, and, and all this. And then to have them tell me like yesterday, oh, no, this is rigged. This is totally <laughs> rigged. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, that all, there's a general acceptance now of conspiracy theory. And it's not it's not the tinfoil hat club anymore. So now I think that that research is starting to bubble up again. And I think you have an entire generation of conspiracy theorists that are kind of drifting out now. And it's making space for new people to come in and to start to reinvigorate it. Because the one thing that I hate more than anything in the world as a consumer of books and and periodicals and videos and other things of conspiracy stuff is that I see the same 10 people telling me the same store 10 stories that I've seen for 20 years and it's like it's mm-hmm. nice now that it's I'm starting to see more stuff bubbling up and I'm starting to see more people becoming invigorated and starting to write again and starting to research and there are new people coming in and some of it's kind of crackpot but i'll take the crackpot stuff because even in some of the crackpot stuff there's like a nugget of truth you know yeah i don't know i'm, I'm pretty burned out on the scene <laughs> yeah well on, on it, i hear you no, adam i hear you i think actually there's a lot of people that are pretty ambivalent. You know, there's a lot of mixed feelings when it comes to this mm-hmm. kind of stuff because there's so much, I don't know, disinformation on one hand and then, you know, trying to weed through that. And then yeah, on the other that's hand, that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other hand, you have a lot of egos, right? People mm-hmm. that are oh, yes. been in conspiracy maybe for a long time. And oh, yes. I don't they're just they're burned out and so they become bitter or what have you so yeah i i understand totally what you're saying but i see now, now I'm, not, ambivalent, I'm, so. I'm not saying i'm bitter <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> i know i know but there's some you know there's, there's some, some people, people that who are, are they are i know bitter. yeah i know who you're talking about but uh yeah. But you know it's it's i i do i do see new things coming and and you know i'm well, tell me what uh, what do you see well, you know, the, you know, for my, my particular thing that, that I'm fascinated by, it's kind of my Carrie Thornley to you, is the secret <laughs> space program. Right, you know, yeah. And, and I like exotic aircraft and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's more of that emerging. And, and the, the ramifications are so massive of it. But, you know, that, that's a new field that a lot of the older generation of conspiracy researchers never touched so you know the people that are coming out and doing things about that you know that that's interesting stuff and and it's and it's kind of reinvigorating it a little bit i mean i i can understand being burned out on talking about jfk i mean it's been you know how long and it's just circular you know well it's like the disclosure argument you know i always see People, oh, disclosure, disclosure, it's coming. Oh, John right. Podesta said this, and Hillary right. Clinton was taking a photo <laughs> with George Here Soros, it and it says that, and it's it's coming, it's coming. It's like, that's yeah, bullshit. Yeah, right. Never right. come. They broke too many laws. They're, it'll never happen. Plus, it's mm-hmm. like, what are you disclosing, right? You know? Yeah. But yeah, for sure. But, you know, like I said, the, there, 
I think that a lot of the the stuff that's coming up, bubbling up now, it's more um, technical than than say like interpretive. So you know, back in the day, there was a lot of interpretive stuff, some symbolism. Well, you're you're gravitating to what interests you, though. Yes, that's true. I, I make it <laughs> I make it perfectly clear. <laughs> I, I would I would say with uh, social media. Uh, conspiracy, quote unquote, research has uh, devolved in a lot of areas where it's just different uh, memes that are put out that uh, mm-hmm. speak to people emotionally. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah, that there's no real research there. It's just uh, part of my thing, whether, you know, uh, Clinton's killed uh, 50 million people. Right. Any uh, any time. Yeah. Any time. <laughs> anybody dies, uh, tangentially related to, and it kind of pissed me off about how people, when Victor Thorne died, you know, it was an immediate mm-hmm. response that he. Uh, they got him. Yeah. So, yeah. don't. Uh, and you see a lot of that now with a lot of the memes. It's not. Uh, back in the day, it was. Uh, people and I'm not uh, saying that things were done better uh, back in the day but uh, it, it, the conspiracy research community has certainly changed I guess in a certain uh, respect uh, because of uh, social media where you know years ago even you know going back to the 60s and mm-hmm. 70s it was like when Mae Russell was around yeah and it was very underground you know you'd search out these different documents and after a couple months one would end up in your mailbox and you'd pour over it and you'd go through these different connections and uh, try to follow up on stuff uh, and nowadays for some folks who are interested or have a certain uh, bias or belief system uh Memes are, the, uh, you know, the new way of uh, spreading uh, conspiracy information. So a lot of the time there's no there's not a lot of critical thinking or research. It's just passing around whatever, you know, that uh, uh, whatever, because there was a fly on uh, <laughs> Hillary's face that uh, she and uh, Barack Obama are demons. Right. So, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 amusing, but it becomes overload after a while. It's like, <clears throat> well, I think I think the other thing is is that that's that's what I meant by burnout. It's sure, that sure, it's like critical mass with some of this stuff. But you know, mm-hmm. the the other thing that I think has happened is that you know there there are people that are in the conspiracy movement that have very strong beliefs. And they, but those beliefs are not necessarily, as you said, well founded. I mean, they're founded on memes. I mean, I had a, a situation where, you know, there there was a school, and and a couple of the kids had went to a, a local church, and the at the church, I guess they were ranting about the Illuminati and and masonry and all this and and so mm-hmm. suddenly you've got a bunch of fourth graders and third graders and fifth graders <laughs> you know trading barbs about how the illuminati works and it's like <laughs> right you know that that's what you're talking about and it's like 
you know, you hear these, oh, well, this is what the Illuminati is. Well, well, no, not really. You know, it, mm-hmm. it has a history and it has. It's, a- it's, it's kind of cool in a sense that they're talking about that. But, right. then but still, also, it's also, it's <laughs> <laughs> also at some point. Yeah, you need uh, hopefully uh, somebody's really interested in the subject. Uh, look at the history of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, it's it's just so implicit in in pop culture, though. Oh yeah, you know whether yeah. it's in music or fashion, and you know with all the uh, so-called Illuminati symbology and signs, and you know people, some people will have a tendency to say, "Oh, look, he's making that sign," or yeah. he's covering his eye must be Illuminati, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Well, so, you know, I did, I did see me. right before I did the, we started the podcast, I was farting around on the internet, which, which I tend to do sometimes. And I did notice one thing that was rather interesting. And I, I would like to hear both of your perspective on it. I was watching, I like Johnny Cash. And yeah. I, I was watching this video that they had made of this song for Johnny Cash. And it didn't actually have Johnny Cash in it. I guess they made it after he died or whatever. Mm-hmm. But what it had was just dozens and dozens and dozens of famous people. I mean, oh, actors, singers, Chris Christopherson was in it. You know, um, a whole bunch of people were in it. Uh, Justin Timberlake was in it. I mean, just tons and tons of people were in it. And they, they had Jay-Z was in it. And, and Jay-Z, I don't know if he's just doing it for, for PR or what, but he he did the triangle, and he put mm-hmm. his eye in the triangle, <laughs> and he made a point of it, and it was very interesting because mm-hmm. I paused it and I'm like, well, well, you know, I mean that that's just going to set off a whole lot of people, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, but what is it, what is his actual motivation for doing that? Is he trying to actually do something? Because I mean, making a triangle and putting your eye in it that has a meaning, right? An implied meaning. Is he doing that to further the whole Jay-Z's and the Illuminati thing? Or is he doing that to to actually do something? So there there is an element of the Internet and social media that is interesting because you, you do start to see these little things that pop out once in a while. But, but I do agree with you about the memes. But I would be interested in, in hearing what you two think of that. Ron? <laughs> I, I, th- I think they're um, just goofing around a lot of the time. They picked up on a lot of this Illuminati uh, imagery. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I think. No, I mean, I, I think the same thing. I I think originally when, like, uh, the website Vigilant Citizen came out, I think uh, that person had a lot of good points. But then after a while, people just grabbed a hold of it and then sort of, like, transformed it into this uh, meme conspiracy realm mm-hmm. like you were saying earlier Adam and it had very little substance and it's sort of like oh okay well I guess that's what it means but I mean <laughs> that's that's generally how the flow of information works you know throughout a period of time and it sort of uh, has its original meaning and its original intent and then it just sort of takes a life of its own um, you know just like how disinformation works and people will grab on to disinformation and think it's true and then that becomes misinformation so Mm -hmm. it's almost the same process and i don't think it's all intentional necessarily 
But, you know, that's just how culture is. That's how mm-hmm. society is. And so trying to break things down, it's kind of difficult to, to kind of figure out a person's intent, whether it's nefarious or it's just, you know, they're just grabbing onto something that has some sort of conspiratorial feel or base to it to, you know, get more hits on their website or what have you. Yeah. Well, the term Illuminati has been attached to, you know, the overarching theme of the globalist Mm -hmm. elite, you know? Yep. And so how does that uh, really uh, relate to the history of the Illuminati? Did they they really uh, exist after (laughs) – 1885 or uh, or 1785. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, or is that just a catch catch all for uh, what uh, people see is uh, whatever they want to uh, right term it as or identify the Rockefellers or some type of well, it's the royal, royal bloodline. Yeah, it's a fall guy, right? It's it's that straw man. They say. Everything that's bad, it's the Illuminati, it's the Illuminati. I mean, that's why, right. for me personally, in in my world of conspiracy research, good, bad, right, wrong, you know, I I tend to refer to them as the powers that be. That that seems to work better for me because the truth is, is that as a person, I don't know. I know mm-hmm. that there's something there. There's well, some, right. something exists, but I don't know precisely what it is. I think it's very complicated, the, and uh, there's been different writers. In fact, the Illuminatus trilogy spoke to this and other works. Uh, there's like a writer named Ishmael Reed who wrote a book called Mumbo Jumbo mm-hmm. that talked about uh, cons- competing conspiracies going on at any given time, you know, and uh, these different forces working uh, against each other and uh, can be interpreted, you know, interpreted however, whatever your worldview is, if you, uh, for instance, think it's the international uh, Jewish bankers, then all these different uh, conspiracies (laughs) creating all this chaos working against each other while there's uh, Wall Street and the uh, different bankers involved, so they're behind it. Or you can point to whoever, the uh, American intelligence agencies or the Russians or… The royal family. Yeah, is it one grand design where the Jesuits or whoever behind it, or is it all these forces working together at any uh, one time? And that's what it looks like Mm -hmm. uh, to me today. I don't doubt… That the Russians are uh, <laughs> trying to fuck, fucking with our <laughs> elections one oh, bit. For, sh- for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And I, what was it? The one of the guys out of Russia, he he said that, that they, they actually thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, you think it's funny because you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it it's, it's funny until... Uh, uh, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're doing, uh, you know, CIA has been uh, involved in uh, plenty of monkey business over the years. But uh, when it hits home, you know, it, my my fear is that 
everything will collapse because of this, you know, cyber war, just some hack that fucking uh, uh, brings down the uh, banking system one day. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like what they did to the Iranians, that they released a worm <clears throat> inside their inside their uh, their research facility that, you know, that screwed up all their their um, centrifuges. And it's like if you but if you have the power to release that worm, who's who's to say that it's not going to jump? Right. Some idiot yeah. puts it on a on, you know, he puts some files on his USB stick and takes oh, it yeah. and plugs it in. And now your worm is expanding and expanding. You know, that mm-hmm. that's a very realistic, you know, apocalyptic kind of vision. Yeah. And uh, that's some good science fiction right there. <laughs> your next book, Adam, you can write science fiction. I might write some uh, fiction someday. I had a thought here of uh, where was I going? Oh, with the whole thing. um yeah, I, you know, as far as I don't think uh, the uh, Russians are necessarily who knows if <laughs> they're actually complicit with Trump, if they're actually talking to each other. I think the end design is just to uh, cause some unrest, you know, mm-hmm. well, you know, my my personal theory about it, the one that I've been trotting around since Trump entered is that him and him and Hillary have a deal. Well, yeah, I've I've heard that for a while. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, they know each other, you know, and well, I bet. I mean, uh, Trump has also held finance uh, Hillary for quite a few years. Oh, yeah. Well, he's well, he's financed (laughs) a lot lot of of things. Yeah. But I think that my own personal. No, I I don't. I don't think uh, at this point they're in bed with each other. It's. uh, Well, uh, but I think there's a nuclear war going on. But yeah, I, but what just he just it out, huh? But what he has done is he's imploded the Republican Party. Yeah, we'll see how this uh, plays out. It certainly looks like that. Yeah, because I mean, when you have the when you have Paul Ryan going out and telling everybody, you know what, Trump's a lost cause. Let's just try to salvage our seats in the the House and the Senate. It's like let's abandon our our you know our candidate the guy that we chose let's just abandon him and focus on our own shit you know that that just seems like a, like a civil war mm-hmm. and you've got all these other guys that are like no 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 he's the wave of the future he's the wave <laughs> of the future you've got these other guys going no 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 he's nuts he's nuts and it's like it's it's severely fragmenting the party and well, it's, yeah it seems too calculated to me to not be a plan because, I mean, what, 20, 26, 27 days until the election, somebody digs up some really nasty, nasty audio of Trump. I mean, it mm-hmm. just it just seems rigged. Well, it well, just it, seems it, like it's, it's going it, back and forth, too. Yeah, exactly. It, it is going uh, back and forth. I don't know about rigged, but it's uh, there. Yeah. Either side is playing a game. I mean, uh, whether it. Uh, you know, uh, Hillary and her uh, group are pulling all the strings on this Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, I think he's a piece of work, you know. So even even today, there's been uh, um, a lot of revelations about uh, the last I saw. You know, it's been a couple hours since I was on the Internet and watching uh TV, but the floodgates have opened with uh, women who have claimed that he, he uh, sexually assaulted them, groped them, or 
grab them well, or whatever. Well, there, there's the one now that is saying, oh, yeah, you know, I was a Miss Miss America, Miss America contestant. And he just walked in and was walking around. And I, I saw the his campaign manager on the Situation Room. Yeah. And and and, and she was she, hammered. She, yeah, she don't know. She doesn't know how to answer it. No. She's just th- thrown out there because <laughs> there's been a couple more revelations since then. There's been. Uh, well, you'll see it if you watch the Situation Room. There's been a few more women. Uh, come forward today so yeah it's it's a flood now how will uh, you know you have steve bannon with uh, breitbart who's uh, <laughs> trump's uh, campaign manager if you've been following all the mechanics behind the uh, campaign and they basically said it's all out war so they want to uh present bill clinton as bill cosby and they're going to try to uh Jeez. Bring out as much shit as they can. And well, they tried to do that. I don't know if you guys have been following all the debates and stuff. They tried to bring bring out all the uh, front row. Yeah. Front row. (laughs) And the camera kept panning back to them. It was it was was they weren't they they weren't in the front row, though. They got moved back. Oh, yeah. When I saw them, they were right in the front or close to the well, they side. Yeah, they were farther up. The plan, and this is where it gets this crazy, and uh, Rudolph Giuliani <laughs> mm-hmm. was in on this, and Steve Bannon. You know, they had a press conference before the debate where they brought out uh, Trump with uh, Juanita Broderick and what's her name, Paula Jones, Paula and Jones. Uh-huh. there's a couple more. Yeah, they had like a little, four. yeah, they had the little press conference. And it was, yeah, it was a last minute deal where, uh, you know, uh, each uh, candidate gets uh, to seat people in the family area <laughs> up front, in the front row, as you said. Right. And so they, they tried to maneuver those uh, four women in the front row. So when Bill Clinton came in, he would <laughs> have to. Have well, he'd have to shake hands with them and deal with them, and uh, the oh, people nice. running the guy, the, you know, the commission running the uh, debate said, "No, no, 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 let's not have this." So they uh, separate them. So yeah, it's it's this is like nothing we've ever seen in. Uh, oh, it's high theatrics. Our lifetimes. <laughs> I know it's high theatrics. It's reality TV. It is. It's it's literally reality TV. Unfortunately, it's a reality TV to elect our president. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking scary. Yeah, and then meanwhile, you've got the Russians that are hacking into the <laughs> DNC, and no doubt. And hacking. China. Well, I mean, China. China's doing a lot of cyber attacks as well. You know, I I need to uh, stop watching TV and uh, <laughs> fall. I think after the election, I will. <laughs> it's like God now. It's just uh, if there it, is an election. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> the other conspiracy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's or the economy d- collapses right. prior to the election. So, yeah, there's a lot of the October surprise. A yeah. lot of stuff going on. <laughs> It'll be business as usual. But just, you know, it's just different things that are distracting us. You know, yeah. create more fear, more well, despair. That, that's and the just thing. Wearing us down. You know, when we, when you look at the election, here's all this theatrics and horse shit going on. And, you know, they're smirking at each other and, and laughing at <laughs> each other. And, I mean, it's just totally theatrical. 
But meanwhile, everybody forgets that the government is actually the deep state, you know, is run by these people who have been basically in power for 20 and 30 years that they they see presidents come and go, but they still Mm -hmm. run the mechanics and the cogs of the government. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you can have all this theatrical stuff, yeah. you know, but the people really running the show are down much deeper. Well, uh, Donald Trump's a wild card, though. He is. He really is. They don't. Nobody knows what the fuck he do if he get got in there, you know. Uh, Hillary, she's we kind of know where she's at. She's part of that uh, globalist uh Oh, yeah, yeah. whatever you want to call it, you know, that uh, whether CSR. you like, yeah, whether oh, yeah. you love it or hate it or, th- you know, but Trump, he's like, yeah, I don't trust that uh, crazy bastard uh, to, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Well, well, it's do you, all, do you disagree rigged. with me? I mean, I mean, the. No, I think it's all fucking rigged. Seriously. <laughs> no, it's all rigged. We, we, I mean, we've done enough shows on. uh on ground zero and mm-hmm. it, just, it just really seems like and we've had all different types of guests and you know well, well, you go back and forth but to me it's just your it's your consummate dialectic you know absolutely uh, well I, I i would say you know the president is uh, they're in the position where they're kind of that middle management yeah you stick in there and uh you know they'll bend uh Kind of either way, whatever the political winds are uh, blowing, but you know they're still going going to march to the beat of uh, globalist politics oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. NATO, yeah. NATO yeah, and all that stuff. But yeah, I don't uh, trust Ch- uh, Trump to play that game at no. all. No, he's he's definitely not going to play that game. But you know, at some level. You know, maybe, I, maybe maybe he will, but uh, he's a he's a wild card. Well, I mean, God help us if he were to get elected. I think that you know he'd show up and he'd have all his his big plans and ideas, and and you know I think eventually he'd get beat down when he realizes yeah, oh you can't actually down. do anything. Well, <laughs> uh, that that's the problem though. But then he'd right. find a way to with, do it exactly with that guy. Uh, nah. He hold he. Uh, Holds grudges. He does. Yeah, he holds grudges, but he doesn't have the uh, the political power that Hillary has. You know, she's built up this political well empire for yeah. years and years, and she's so got a, she's got a vault somewhere that's got yeah, you know, that's got dossiers on everybody. I mean, she's got the yeah. she's got the number of everybody she yeah. has have a number on. And his is more, you know, from financial, from more business related. Yeah. So. Well, well, yeah, it's hard to say. I, but it's and it's a dangerous time because mm-hmm. you know you you have I mean Putin is is starting to expand again, you know, and and I think you know you look at the Russians, it's like the petrodollar has has gone down. They they need money, so what do they do? They restart the Cold War. I mean, everything they're doing is, you know, this is my conspiracy zone, right? Everything that they're doing is like Cold War ish. They're flying the bombers again. They've got the trawlers off the coast. You know, we had some naval exercises. They trot, they trotted out this huge surveillance ship that sat off mm-hmm. right off the, you know, Hawaii, listening to everything. You know, the yeah. submarines are active again. 
See, and they uh, signed that big oil deal with Turkey to get the uh, right. oil pipeline going through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you see this reemergence of a Cold War kind of mentality, which is good for business, right? But, you know, that's... Well, I, I think that's kind of what the hacking is all about, just yeah. to uh, basically create some uh, chaos, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for the, the U.S. government. Oh, yeah. All, all this other shit's going on. Yep. Well, it, at least... More to, distraction. At least to... I mean, they could have hacked in and and just left a file there that said, you know, like fuck off. But it's the notion that they did it, it creates that a, a strategy of tension. It creates tension. Oh, what are they doing? You know, what are they doing in there? Are they rigging stuff? You know, are they uploading stuff? Downloading? What are they doing? And it kind of, I remember there's a story. Well, yeah, there's there's been just these reports of. Uh some hacking or attempted hacking uh to do what that for the election for uh to you know different uh in states to uh fucking around with the election system you know right but they don't the thing is is that they don't actually have to achieve anything no i i, I agree yeah it, it just creates that well there, there's <laughs> unease a, right there there's an old story about back in the soviet union that near um near Murmansk, the submarine pens in Murmansk, that there was a, a building, and the CIA became convinced that they were building some sort of a particle cannon or a laser cannon in this building. And they'd see trucks go in, trucks go out, trucks go in, trucks go out, and people go in, people go out, and they could never identify with all their moles and surveillance shit and everything else, they could never identify what was actually in that building. So some defector somewhere says, oh, they're building a laser cannon. So they became obsessed with the idea that there was a laser cannon being built in this building. And so they ran around and told everybody this. And, and, the, and the National Security Council and other people you know, are fronting this idea. And, and then the, the, pol- the other people are pushing back on them saying, well, wait a minute. How do you know there's a particle cannon in there? And the CIA's response was, well, we don't know it's not in there, and you can't approve, you cannot prove to me that there isn't a particle cannon or a laser cannon in there. So it's our assumption that there is. Well, what that really is is they don't know what the hell was in there, and they, uh-huh. they, they cooked up a story. And so what, you know, I think these hacking attempts, whether they're successful or not, it just, it just is designed to create that strategy attention makes us mm-hmm. nervous what are they rigging the election you know now we have to go quid pro quo we have to go hack them and do some right, nasty, nasty yeah. time to them and you know and we have this kind of you know in the meantime there's submarines everywhere and we're launching submarines and, and then we're back to the cold war again mm-hmm yeah crazy times hey adam when's the first time uh, you and i met I'm trying to remember. Was that the uh, conspiracy con? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think 2006. I believe you were with uh, Mr. Andy Colvin, mm-hmm. the Mothman photographer. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting time. Um, was Skyler there too? Skyler Ofgren? Oh man, uh, I th- I think so. There were a couple. I'm. I made uh, two or three of the uh, conspiracy conferences, but... Uh, but I remember there was some sort of, like, doppelganger or whatever. 
Mm -hmm. he wrote wrote something about it (laughs) like a black squirrel Yeah, it was kind of a weird uh, deal. I showed up, and I'm trying to remember this guy's name. Uh, he was a guest on uh, Ground Zero, actually. I uh, mm-hmm. suggest you have him on. Roger Tulsi's. Remember that? Oh, yeah, dude? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had him on a few times. So, yeah, the uh, deal with the doppelganger. I'm trying to remember the whole story. I had shown up. I was checking into the uh, Double Tree uh, Hotel there in uh, uh-huh. San Jose or whatever Santa, that is. Santa, Santa Clara. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Roger Tulsi's, I didn't know him, but he came up to me and started asking me these questions. Where are the books and all of this? <laughs> I went, uh, I don't know, what book she talking about? Uh, And his wife came up and we were talking. I go, uh, maybe you saw my doppelganger. And he was kind of confused and we (laughs) laughed about it. Right. And so, yeah, I started the mythology that he had seen my doppelganger there. But, yeah, it was kind of odd. Uh, Roger Tulsi's is... uh, He's created these different uh, devices for uh, blocking uh, whatever you want to call them. Mind Mic- microwaves or yeah. types of Was yeah, he the one with the oscilloscope where he's like, we're under attack? We're being microwaved? Well, he doesn't sound like a total uh, uh, whack job. Excuse no, the term. No. Yeah, he's yeah, an electronics expert. No, That's he has a, a bugsweeps.com and so... <laughs> You know, yeah, basically, he cool. uh, goes in and sees if your uh, residence or your business is bugged. But yeah. uh, now, what he does is he or he was assisting individuals who are allegedly being uh, electronically harassed yeah. by setting them up with diagnostic equipment because that's really the best way to find out whether you're you are getting zapped. So yeah, he sounds pretty legit. Uh, yeah. To me, when I talk to him, he's none. Yeah, it's none of the. He he doesn't get into any specific theories about gang stalking or this or that. He just has the equipment, and it seems like you know, looking at his resume, that he has a legit uh, background. So, uh, but yeah, I ended up writing a story about that adventure, whatever <laughs> conspiracy con that was. And oh I, yeah doppelganger yeah. and we saw a we saw a black uh, squirrel and i guess black squirrels are prominent around <laughs> that area i'd never seen a black squirrel before but i pointed that out to andy colvin and i guess we evolved some theory that it was some mechanical mind control uh <laughs> <mind control laughs> eight, eight agent monitoring uh, and it's one of those things we start we took a photo of this andy took a photo of the squirrel i'd never seen a fucking black squirrel but i guess they're around <laughs> santa clara i've never seen one either so. yeah so there's a, so we took that photo and in the background we looked at it later and um it was the parking lot for whatever i guess it was the double tree hotel and in the background, there was a tennis court. But you know that webbing they put around tennis courts? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a white webbing. You can't yeah. see through it <laughs> real well. Right. In that webbing, you saw a guy leaning up against the webbing that was looking at us. 
Mm-hmm. Was he and wearing so, black? No, he was uh wearing tennis he shorts. Was like, no, he was like a man in white. It might Weird. yeah, but uh, he might have been a tennis player. It was kinda hard to see, but it's just one of those things. It was the black right. black oh. squirrel which caught my attention and you have somebody it <clears throat> seemed like he was, you know, watching us but you have that photo too i've seen it i think on either skyler's blog or yeah i posted it there way back Uh you know that was like maybe that's 10 years ago i think yeah yeah now uh you know the explanation yeah it was a (laughs) tennis player uh relaxing against the webbed whatever uh but yeah who knows (laughs) <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably more a logical explanation but it's fun to uh oh yeah kick, kick these things around no the guy sure. the guy i saw this is definitely not him because this guy was running all around i mean like a chicken with his head cut off waving his arms going we're under attack we're under attack so uh-huh i think it's a different guy yeah most likely oh, to- totally yeah. yeah tulsi's uh seemed pretty uh as I said, the legit the guy yeah, he's, has, he's a level headed guy. He, and he has a bet he has a background in that uh, surveillance type uh stuff and all you know, that crap goes on where people can uh monitor you or uh whatever a different surveillance uh well the remote, thing is yeah but- surveillance uh equipment. And it's not just the government doing it. Uh, private citizens can do it, too, if they have the right equipment. And you can well, basically, like, retrofit a microwave oven to use as a weapon. You know, well, the, There was a story a number of years ago where, you know, HP was actually monitoring their employees. Mm-hmm. They were actually following them around and spying on them. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, corporations do it, too. Yeah. Yeah, they have old so, departments. <laughs> as they but, say, surveillance happens. Well, you've heard all that gang stalking uh, mm-hmm. stuff going on. So, yeah, a lot of times it coincides with the electronic harassment. So, no, I believe it goes on. But you know, I've people used to call me up, and because you know, I used to write about mind control stuff, do research. Mm-hmm. So I get uh, calls by people saying, oh, I'm getting zapped, this and that. And so I'd ask them a series of questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically after, you know, asking very pointed, direct questions, I could usually ascertain whether or not they were, you know, maybe people just having significant mental health issues and they would gravitate toward this to justify their condition or yeah. they were – People that may have unwittingly been part of something that they didn't know about, and uh, whether they be a political activist or you know some sort of yeah. uh, whistleblower, and uh, but basically what I would tell them is the the best way to find out is to get set up with diagnostic equipment, and so that's why I would uh, refer people to either like people like Roger Tulsis. Or uh, uh, Harry Sweeney, H. Michael Sweeney, who's also a consultant, a surveillance consultant. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a few. Yeah, there's a few people that can help, but uh, they're really far and few between. And I really, I mean, I feel for people that uh, go through this because basically, if you are you're getting zapped, you know, a lot of these people just can't sleep. 
And so if you have prolonged sleep deprivation, that's going to drive you crazy, you know. And uh, well, it's it's hard to tell that you know yeah. who yeah. you know if somebody's uh, paranoid schizophrenic too that right. you, you don't necessarily want to uh, encourage that idea that uh, okay you are and uh, I'll get you hooked up with a professional. It's you can't uh, right. You, you right. don't have a window into their brain. That's true. But that usually, uh, like I said, I had a series of questions, but yeah. it, it kind of came like, did you talk to this person or the police or that? Oh, I can't trust them. No, I can't trust them. I can't trust my mother. I can't, you know, then after a while you kind of figure, eh, maybe something's not right here. Yeah. Right. So I, makes it tough. I had, uh, some experiences and I thought I was being, uh, microwaved. <laughs> yeah, me and, too. Yeah, so uh, who knows? It was kind of odd. It was, uh, and it was when I was writing the Manson book. And there was a lot of mind control stuff. So who the hell knows? But uh, mm -hmm. just uh, briefly, I was uh, sitting on my couch. We were eating dinner with my wife. We have a little table, you know, in the uh, living room where I usually sit, you know, and. Uh, I got, uh, my body got heated up real fast, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, it was like I was burning up and my wife looked at me and went, wow, your face is totally red. What's going on? I was going, whoa, the fuck's going on here? And it, within a five minute period, it dissipated and I was okay again. But then that, uh, Within whatever period of time, I couldn't tell exactly, maybe a couple weeks or whatever, mm -hmm. the exact same thing happened again, which was odd. You know, there's a, a window there. If somebody was out on a street or at some location, could have been beaming something at me. And then during that same period, uh, we've gone to the same Mexican restaurant for years. The same thing happened. Not mm -hmm. one, Not once. But twice when I was <laughs> sitting at the exact same table in the exact same place, you know, where. So who knows what the hell that was about? And it's never yeah. happened to me again. That's yeah. what I don't. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think that happens to some people uh, uh, on certain occasions as sort of like a, uh, you know, like, hey, watch it, buddy. You know, um, well, and I have one uh, a good friend that I haven't spoken to in years. He was a very prolific uh, conspiracy writer on uh, subjects of uh, mind control, and um, he was uh, a big uh, fan of May Russell. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got to the point where he was being so harassed in a variety of different ways, both electronically and gang stalking, that basically he had to. Uh, quit writing he doesn't write anymore you know he's a photographer now so mm -hmm. it's really sad to see yeah. wonderful photographer though yes he is yeah he, he's a very good photographer but it's just uh you know it's sort of like enough's enough what he would do is after he'd write a book he'd be so worn out just not from writing the book but because of all the crap that he was going through and, you know, he feels that he was being uploaded. He had like that soul catcher type technology mm -hmm. so that everything he perceived and uh, hear, smell was being uh, manipulated. 
And so mm. it just got to the point where, you know, he, he couldn't take it anymore. And so he just said, okay, you guys win. Fuck it. And so, you know, uh, I think, I think he's doing better now. I just haven't spoken to him for a while, yeah. but I think uh, there are some, I know a couple of other people though that's happened to who are writers who have researched uh, conspiratorial type topics and it just happened a few times, but, uh, you know, then they would, they figured, they kind of figured out what they were doing and they backed off from it and there was no problem. Hey, so I have a topic change. Okay. All right. So, hold on. So I'm curious, uh, Adam. So, you know, we, we've had you on for, for over an hour now. <laughs> before before we end this, I, I want to hear more about James Shelby Downard. Oh, yeah. If I if I can keep you on here a little longer, I want mm-hmm. to I want to hear about James Shelby Downard. I, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, the, well, what do you know about James Shelby Downard? So I read the what is it? The Carnival of Life and Death. Mm-hmm. That was the I guess the first half of his his life. Mm-hmm. And that is a completely insane book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it is utterly insane. <laughs> I, I don't I mean, the, I don't okay. know any other way to say it. Let me tell you what I know. I first uh, became acquainted uh, with uh, Downer. There was a mention of him in uh, Robert Anton Wilson's Cosmic Trigger, which was uh, basically a biography. Have you guys read that? Uh, great I book. Great yes. book. I would okay. recommend it. Uh, that should be the next thing you read, but uh, it chronicles uh, period when Wilson was looking into a lot of different uh, conspiracies and experimenting with <laughs> a lot of stuff, uh, ritual magic and psychedelics and having uh, UFO experiences and all this crazy stuff. And uh, at uh, during that period, he came, this is Wilson, he came to believe or at least believed for a period of time that he was contacted by the uh, Sirius star system, which uh, during the same period, Philip K. Dick uh, was writing about the uh, same thing. And a lot of people (laughs) were having these experiences anyway. uh, Wilson got some correspondence from a guy named Bill Grimstad, who also writes under the name of Jim Brandon. He's written books called Weird America, The Rebirth of Pan, you might have heard of. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grimston, Grimstad uh, knew James Shelby Downard, and they uh, recorded a series called uh, Serious Rising that had to do with all these Freemasonic uh, connections with the star system uh, Sirius and uh, Robert Anton Wilson said it was a completely mind-blowing, crazy conspiracy that uh, dealt with, you know, a lot of these Freemasonic things like the moon landing was a part of a Freemasonic ritual. And right. 
things like this and seemed to resonate with them. Though even though these theories sounded crazy, they made a certain amount of uh, sense. And a lot of this, I think, has informed uh, different researchers over the years, like uh, Richard Hoagland, for instance, uh, with a lot of his. Sure. Somebody fallen over there when I said yeah. Hoagland. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, the next thing I saw, I saw with uh, technical difficulty. Yeah, Ron's making somebody's making noise. I, I don't Ron. think it's me. No, it's Ron. Um, Adam Parfrey came out with Apocalypse Culture in the '90s. I had a bunch of crazy essays in there, and one of them was the. Uh, King Kill 33, which had, which was written by James Shelby Downard and Michael Anthony Hoffman, and uh, presented the theory that the uh, JFK assassination was orchestrated on the. Uh, are you done, Ron? Yeah, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yeah, and Good. the JFK assassination was uh, orchestrated on the 30th. Uh, third degree of latitude and uh there was all these connections with uh freemasonry the uh for instance like the three mystery tramps uh connected to freemasonry uh, the number 33 and three uh occurs throughout you know like the uh Oh, what is it? The triple underpass and all these things seem to coincide with, the, you know, numerology and all of this stuff. And in the essay, they traced out, you know, not only the JFK assassination, but, uh, for instance, the early tests on the Trinity site. Once again, the number three, where they were testing the nuclear weapons and also Roswell and uh even you know you could uh they didn't talk about uh <laughs> Disneyland and club 33 but all of this mm-hmm. I've been there all of these th- club 33 yeah I've been to yeah. club 33 <laughs> wow I got to hear about that sometime <laughs> sure. but but the, but the whole um Kennedy assassination was part of this freemasonic conspiracy and it uh, goes into quite a bit of depth and you ought to uh, read a you know check out apocalypse culture so i became interested in this guy and started like thornley gathering all the material and i wrote a book called james shelby downard's mystical war which you can check out and you also mentioned the book uh, carnivals of life and death which is a mind blower. It's the first part of his biography, and it presents a young James Shelby Downard at the age of like four or five, uh, battling with Freemasonic <laughs> conspirators and all of this stuff. And he goes to Jekyll Island, and he's battling against the Federal Reserve, he hits, and <laughs> he hits everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's all the it's everything. And it's a pretty mind-boggling uh, book, and I was exposed to different versions of this material, and it's like, oh, it's hard to know what, it's, some of it seems so crazy, but then, you know, if you read the totality of everything he wrote, some of it seems to make uh, 
I don't know, synchronistic. Uh, a lot of uh, synchromysticism has uh, given a nod to uh, Downard and a lot of the stuff he picked up on. So mm-hmm. over the years, I've uh, at some point I got in touch with uh, William Grimstad, who uh, did that original uh tape series that Robert Anton Wilson heard back in the day. I'm still <laughs> trying to get a hold of this tape series, but uh, Grimstead wrote the great books uh, I mentioned before, Weird America and right. Rebirth of Pan, which are out of print, but if you can get a hold of those, there are some mind blowers. And Grimstead actually knew Downard back in the day, and they hung out and talked about all this crazy stuff. Uh, some people, <clears throat> when I started looking into this, suspected that Downard was made up. He was like this mis- mythical character because stories about him were that he drove around his Airstream uh, trailer. He had a, constantly had a Colt 45 at his side, mm-hmm. the, the gun, and the Freemasons were always on his uh, – uh, following him around because of what he knew about the JFK assassination. He was also into Fortiana and investigating caverns and all of this stuff. And it was like, did they, these guys, Parfrey and Grimstad and Hoffman make up this character? Right. He's but almost, as I look, he's almost too perfect, right? That he, I mean, he hits everything <laughs> all the time. From what I've been able to gather, he was a real dude. I've seen actual letters, and I knew where he lived in Nashville. So somebody, if they were making this guy up, they had to actually live in Nashville and send letters (laughs) back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think he was an actual dude. So anyway, just to uh, close the loop here, I've been in touch with William Grimstad over the years. And he contacted me. Uh, he, I think he was the one who uh, gave the Carnivals of Life and Death manuscript to Parfrey back in the day. That didn't sell too well, you know. And so uh, about a, a couple of years ago, uh, Grimstead was contacted by uh, another associate who informed them that he had uh, – on Microfish, uh, the second part of uh, Downard's biography. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think he, Grimstead, approached Parfrey on it because it didn't do real well for whatever reasons. And he, uh, he contacted me because I'd done the uh, one book on uh, Downard and I'm – quote unquote, the uh, one of the authorities, <laughs> whatever, one of the people writing about him, he said, are you interested in uh, this manuscript of uh, Downard's? And I go, yeah. And he explained it to me. It was all on microfish, so there's going to have to be a process of trans uh, of uh, moving this from microfish into, let's see, he was able to move it from microfish, you know, which was the technology, whatever, to store mm-hmm. a lot of information back in the mid '80s, right? To uh, TIFF documents, and was I willing to split the cost? And I said, sure. And it was like we 
costs, you know, a couple hundred dollars. So we split those costs. And then he gave it to me to uh, do whatever I want. So I got all this material, and it's uh, a beast. It's like uh, almost 900 pages. Wow. Wow. It's like, I'm not sure if it's two different manuscripts. It's biographical material, but also all of his theories and whatever. So I started working on this, and eventually I'll publish it. But uh, it's like going through different steps because the first part was uh, I got all the TIFFs. So I moved those into PDFs and trying to get them into chronological numerical order there's some weirdness there with uh some page numbers that are the same it's like sorting through this shit then uh the next you know that was kind of confusing so i said i need to print all this out you know Mm -hmm. and so i printed out about a dozen pages and it used up like a whole ink cartridge (laughs) because there's there's this black border on the thing oh right Mm -hmm. from the microfish and so then, yeah, I went to, uh, and this has been like a year or so, I went, this has been going on, I went to Kinko's and this had them print, print out this thing, you know, and that was like a 150 bucks to pay, print out 900 pages. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and there's also, also OCR technology, but... That's not really working, you know, with this material. So it has to be typed out. Right. So eventually there will be this book. And I think it's, I, you know, it's going to be the magnum opus of Downard. There's some great stuff in here, but it might be a few years before uh, it gets published. Very yeah. intriguing. That's very intriguing because I'll tell you, the Carnival of Life and Death is insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, you know, I think it starts out that he's like. What do, what do you What do you mean by insane? Well, I mean, it starts out when he's very young. I I mm-hmm. don't remember how old, but he's he's safety pinned to the bed so his mom could like go out and party. Mm-hmm. And then then it, it it moves forward, and then he's he's like recruited. Yeah. Uh, well. Th- Part of it, yeah, he was traumatized. He was traumatized and, was par- and recruited. It was part of a, a ritual right. initiation. And, uh, yeah, it gets in into the later material how, um, wow, it's, yeah, it's some wild stuff uh, yeah. about uh, mind control and how he married this woman who became kind of the whore of Babylon who <laughs> was used by – intelligence agencies uh, in these uh, ritual sex magic circus to uh, uh, just goes <laughs> goes on and on, you know. And part, part of it, uh, it's kind of typical for somebody who has delusions of grandeur mm-hmm. that he is at the center of this grand uh, conspiracy, but he's also this kind of genius guy, and I'm not saying he was this. It does sound insane, but uh, he was somebody who could write about this and put it into a larger context. You know. Mm-hmm. I don't Very know. good. It, it just it, it seemed insane to me when I read it because mm-hmm. it was like 
it was like checking off boxes. It's like, okay, he did that, he did that, he did that, he did that, <laughs> yeah. he did that, he did that. And and by the end of the book it's almost too much. Like it's it's yeah. almost overwhelming the amount of stuff that he was involved in. Right. Yeah. And then and then after I read that I went and read King Kill thirty three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it then it's suddenly oh, I get it. Because understanding what I don't know if that was actually his life or not, but what he perceives his early life to have been. Right. Then suddenly you read King Kill 33, never having read it in your whole life. It's like, I get it because, he, you know, the way that it the way that it maps, it's like, oh, because he was involved in this and that. That's why he perceives this stuff. So, I mean, it, it or kind of, we don't know exactly what he was involved in, what his that was at his perception. Exactly. You know, how, what, but he's a very. Uh, learned guy about a lot of different uh, subjects you know about mysticism and uh, he was a student of all of this stuff and it's pretty obvious one of the challenges at times he's a pretty good writer at other times he's not you know so that's kind of the deal of pulling this book together it's going to have to be not only typed out but edited and it's like 900 pages, which is uh, <laughs> too large for a book. So right. figuring out how to present it is how to splice it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a value uh, at the very least as uh, kind of a, even from uh, looking at it from an anthro anthropological uh, viewpoint, you know, mm-hmm. about, uh, Oh, how, uh, you know, just uh, how how what he did informed a lot of other conspiracy researchers. Sure. Well, well, also, it closes the loop, right? That that right, wrong or indifferent, you have his perception because I I can't call it anything other than that. You have his, his perception of his the first half of his life. Now you have the perception of the the second half. So that yeah. missing chunk, then you have his perception of his life in totality. But yeah, I mean, he's a very learned guy. Somebody somebody taught him something, or he figured it out. Because I mean, you read it, and in the, the you know the way that he makes the connections, there's obviously an incredible amount of knowledge there. And I don't doubt that a lot of other people picked up on the. Early on, the stuff he was uh, writing about, uh, I mentioned uh, Richard Hoagland. <laughs> a lot of the stuff he uh, has written about and talked about over the years, and a lot of uh, synchromysticism and stuff. Lauren Coleman, a lot of mm-hmm. other people, they all, you know, they all nod to uh, Downard in these. You know the commit. You know with King Kill Thirty Three, that has definitely right. influenced a lot of people. Michael A. Hoffman too, I think touched yeah. on that in regard to the Twilight language. Yeah, he definitely, um, you know, inspired Hoffman. Hoffman co-wrote King Kill Thirty Three, and what actually happened there that uh, Downard had the uh, notes on King Kill. Mm-hmm. 33 and it was Hoffman who took that material and edited it and mm-hmm. that's why you know both the, their names are credit, 
credited right. to that work. Right. Yeah. The first time I heard about that was reading the book uh, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare years ago. Yeah. Another great book. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, these guys are kind of fixated on uh, oh, a lot of the themes that uh, come out with uh, different theories associated with the John Birch Society and the international uh, Jewish banking conspiracy. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's that element there too which yeah. is an undercurrent of uh however you want to view it yeah anti sentiment anti semitism there you Sem- go yeah but uh yeah well it's and then getting back to the illuminati um i remember uh there was a I guess he was a conspiracy researcher. Myron Fagan was his uh-huh. name. Some guy from the 50s and the 60s. And he talked about I know that, the interna- international banking system. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, he also referred to them as the Illuminati. And then uh, Johnny Todd, this uh, Christian minister back in the 70s and 80s, uh, kind of revived that. And then mm-hmm. Springmeyer kind of... Yeah. Brought it back to in the forefront back in the early '90s, so I, that, that's I, sort of the the you know the thread of the Illuminati that I know of. I have audio files from all those guys, Myron yeah. Fagan and mm-hmm. John Todd, and yeah, yeah. Fagan came out of the uh, blacklist period in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and the whole communist uh, McCarthy era. Yep, evolved out of that. Which is, yeah. Interesting stuff. Wow. Yeah. We've gone a long time with we the have. Paranoia Podcast with Adam Goreilly. But, you know, there's so much information that Adam is full of. I mean, pertinent, relative information. I couldn't say anti-Semitism. Well, that's okay. It's late. <laughs> but what are friends for, right? Anti- Anti-Semitic. There we there go. You go. There you go. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Well, when you haven't said a particular word in a long time, sometimes it's kind of, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've had, really I've had some it. adult brev- beverages here, too. So, uh. damn. And I'm going to go have some right now. I got to I got to get out of here before Clyde Lewis comes into the office because uh, <laughs> his show's almost over. And if he sees me here. Oh, gonna- I, I was wondering what was going on. Yeah. Well, I, I'm usually off at ten, and so he still goes to twelve. But mm-hmm. knowing Clyde, he'll he'll go. Oh, so what do you think about the show? Uh, which is okay, but it's like you know what? My day is done, dude. I don't want to talk <laughs> about <laughs> conspiracy shit. <laughs> well, what have we been I mean, talking about? I know, but this is different, though. This, this is, is fun. No, but you know what I'm saying. It's like when you're like hanging out with somebody and working on a show. Yeah. You know, kind of, job. and that's tailored for a national audience. Mm-hmm. This, on the other hand, is tailored for an Us. intergalactic audience, not just international, mm-hmm. but this all over the universe. We don't, oh yeah, you know, we don't discriminate. Nope. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we're we're not regulated by the FCC, so we can do whatever the fuck we want. And Adam Goreilly, I really appreciate you being on the Paranoia Podcast. I believe this is episode 10. Oh, excellent. It's a real honor to have you on, Adam. I mean, you are an amazing researcher. 
You really oh stop oh stop no no I mean it I mean it. it's really an honor to have you on and and to pick your brain about mm-hmm. this stuff thanks yeah it's been fun uh, well so that's another thrilling episode of the paranoia podcast again thank you Adam go rightly uh, where can people find your stuff adamgorightly.com and no doubt Amazon and Barnes and Noble and every other goddamn place. Yeah, <laughs> for pe- for people into no nothing going on at iTunes, but I have nope. a Discordian website, historiadiscordia dot com. If people are interested in that, and uh, let's see a blog, go rightly dot wordpress dot com. And I think that's it. Yeah. For the books, go to Amazon. And and again, another plug for The Shadow Over, Santa Susanna, Black Magic, Mind Control, and the Manson Family Mythos. Insane book, amazing book, will blow your mind. And I am personally going to go buy uh, James Shelby Downer's Mystical War probably tomorrow. So, again, thank you very much for being on. Uh, and thanks to and, all uh, go let me send Let me send you a... Uh, YouTube link too if you want to play it as a uh, closeout uh, song. It's a it's called Mind Traps. We would love that. So uh, this is this is the end of the podcast. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening. You can get us on paranoiamagazine.com, paranoiapublishing.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere else. We're on Twitter, Paranoia Magazine, or on Instagram, Paranoia Mags. Facebook, Paranoia Magazine. I think I got them all. Ron, did I miss <laughs> any? No, you got it, brother. <laughs> all right. So be excellent, everybody. Okay. Take good care and keep the faith. Until next week. Good night. See you later, guys. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. ParanoiaMagazine.com Intro theme The Guide was composed by Scott Moon ScottMoon.net Outro theme Fighting Trousers is by Professor Elemental ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo host of Cinema Insomnia Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at osi74.com. We are resuming control. For now.